Hello and welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 32. I'm delighted to be joined by Shami Kalra, who is, amongst many other things, the Amalogato Watches owner. Welcome to Rearview, Shami, and I'd like to start off by asking, what is Amalogato Watches? Good evening. And I realise that's dreadful grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Good evening. Thank you for asking me on, firstly. It's been... Um... It's a real honour to be asked to something like this because, uh, well, I, I love what I do and I, I love motorsport and everything around it. And so, uh, so to be to be asked to do something like this is, um, it's a real pleasure. So thank you, firstly, for that. Um, no problem. Amalgato watches. Um, it's it's something that came out of this sort of massive passion that I have for motorsport. I've always loved it. Always been into it and always wanted to be involved in one way or another. And I have been involved in various guises with, you know, from a level, from 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 people like, I mean, I was involved with a deal with Luca de Montezemolo back in 2014. So I've always been in the background doing things for people and doing things around it. Um, I've been making watches for about 20, 25 years for other brands like, you know, I made some for Audi, I made some for Rolls-Royce, amongst other corporations. But that industry and that market was, was to be honest with you absolutely boring the hell out of me it was very good <laughs> because i had two children and that you know you've got a mortgage and you can feed them and all the rest of it so you have to do what you have to do to make sure that your family's sorted and everything else um but i was literally becoming almost like a zombie towards the end of being involved with that business um so as i i mean i've said it on a couple of interviews before in 2015 my wife and i were having an argument one weekend where you know i was so bored and so grumpy and she just said oh you've got to sort yourself out either you do something you love or, or change it the way you want to and so we had quite a big argument on a friday didn't speak most of the weekend and i came back on monday <laughs> And I'd, I'd come back and designed four watches, which I thought I would buy those. If they were for sale, I would have them. So mm. I, I, I went about building a website, which went live on the Tuesday evening. And then I just okay, left. Okay, so it. you hung around then. You know, you really pondered these uh, things. Four days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> four days. And I thought, well, let's just see what happens. Left it at that. And then on the Thursday evening, I remember it clearly. It was about 7.30 at night. Um I got a notification on my phone to say that someone had bought two watches and it was, I, I couldn't believe that someone wanted to buy something that I loved and I would buy and they wanted to buy it and I made money out of it. And that evening, I think I must have ended up selling about seven or eight of them in an evening, which was surreal. By Just just after going live? Just two days after so going live. So it's not yeah. as though you've got six months of uh, online seo and no. all the rest of it built up and you know you, there's been a massive marketing campaign or anything like that no, so this absolutely is zero marketing apart from the fact that as you know i run social media i do i do like my social media and i yes. like sharing what i do not for the sake of boasting of what i do i never i never intend to boast and some people might think it is but it's just that i'm excited about everything that i get involved in um, it doesn't come across as boasting to me right i, okay, I, I think we're just getting a window in, into you know some of the cool things and some of the stuff you go this is amazing i can't believe it's it really I'm, every type time, stuff yeah and every time i do that i'm like a rabbit in the headlights i never take anything that i do for granted um, and, I, and I've done some, and I've met some amazing people that, you know, little old me, you're sort of sitting in, on a dinner table. I mean, I could drop some names right now, but you're sort of sitting there and you think, what the hell am I doing here? And someone <laughs> told me it's almost like imposter syndrome, where you don't believe yes. that you should be there sort of thing. So, I, so uh, I, I had, yes. I've had a lot of that. But um, So I, I basically started up a social media Twitter account, which was instrumental. And then I retweeted it into an account, which I use, you know, as you know, for various other things that I discuss. And almost immediately people started interacting and thinking, my God, I'll have one of those, I'll have one of those. And within a month, I'd made more money, um, as in profit in the small business that we started, than I did do in the other business that I wanting to, wanted to get. It was actually on its last legs and it was dying anyway. And I wanted mm. to get out of it. So we, we'd made and generated more income in one month, just with this little idea that I had, which enabled me to go out and invest and buy more stock and more styles and so start designing more. And and I've never looked back. And, and, you know, yesterday we filed our first year accounts 
um, I did see your company's tweet. house. <laughs> and honestly, um, I don't think I've ever paid that much corporation tax before. So the it's I- in the one hand you're punching the air because wow, and in the other hand you're going. <laughs> oh, well, look at it all yeah, go. yeah. The thing, the only thing I will say is that we've doubled the turnover of the first year already in the second year. So every oh, wow. every month we've you know we sort of pushed and pushed and pushed. And so this little idea that I had that I thought might give me a little bit of extra beer money at the end of the week or something or something that I would like right. doing. Stop me being totally frustrated and angry exactly. and a person and, to you be know, near. Even if I made an extra hundred <laughs> quid a week out of it, but it was something that I wanted to do, that's mm. what I was going to – that was, was going to make me happy. So money's never been the motive. It's always been that I wanted to do something different. Not that I'm mm. sitting in a, a pool of cash that I don't need the money. But I had oh, that's a, disappointing. I, I had another, yeah, I had another <laughs> income anyway. So if this yeah. gave me beer money and I got excited by it, then that would have been just enough for me. As it is, um, I've completely, after one month, um, um, separated from what I was doing from my other partners and everything else, um, and I went on my own. I gave up, you know, twenty-five years worth of comfortable income and an industry that I was in. I gave it all up within the space of four weeks to, to concentrate on this. And, and anyone can download the accounts and companies house and you can see what we're doing and how we're doing it. But, but what we do do is reinvest it. And that's one thing I've always promised myself with, with anything that I do, especially with this, is that we have a pool of money at the end of every month or at the end of every quarter where I go around looking for specific motorsport people to invest in. Um, mm. It could be anybody. It doesn't have to be on any level. I mean, I've just invested in a young lady called Katie Milner, who's who was 16 when I invested in her. She's 17 now, but she's Britain's youngest uh, motorsport champion um, and most successful. She's won six championships by the time she was 16 uh, in a in a male orientated orientated um, uh, championship. So. Her story. Well, her story, Natalie McGloin, yes. who is the episode that's coming out before yours. Excellent. She said, that is the person I had to speak to next. Oh, really? <laughs> so, well, I mean, what a small world this is. Well, Natalie, Nat, Natalie <laughs> Nat and I had actually become really, really good friends. I'm going to her house for dinner next Saturday. Um, and, and we, you know, there's, there's loads of text messages and there's loads of... And she, you know, she's good friends with my wife now. But she was the first person that I... Actually, when I first started, I think after about a month, month and a half, I decided I, I needed to get a brand ambassador. And mm. I looked, Natty and I had already following each other on Twitter and, and I think, yeah, just on Twitter. And um, I, I thought, you know, this, this woman, she's, she's paralyzed and she's driving a Lamborghini and now she's got a GT3. And I thought, she's amazing. And then I found mm. out she was racing and, I, and I, 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 I tweeted a private message and I said, Nat, I need to talk to you. I'm looking for someone to sponsor. I'd like it to be you. And within 24 hours of that message, I was around her place in Chelsea when she lived there at the time. And we met for a coffee. We sat down, got on like a house on fire. And we put a program together where we, uh, where I, where Amoligato sponsored her, her in her Porsche Club uh, Championship. And, mm. and I was her first sponsor. And she was the first lady I sponsored. And I like the fact she... Well, she puts a middle finger up to anybody who says she can't do anything. And to a certain extent, that's exactly yes. what I do. And that's what I do. If you tell me I can't do anything, watch me. And, and that's what's happened. And, and that's how And that I like her grit and I love her passion. And, and I have, to a certain extent, you know, the same sort of passion. I mean, Matt and I, and hopefully she'll be listening to this, we have arguments sometimes by Twitter. No, sorry, by text message. But we always end it with a kiss, a little X on the end, because we both know we both have that mutual level of respect between each other with what we do and how we do it. And and mm. I like working with people like that. So she she's she was absolutely brilliant. Then I went over to, on to British Touring Cars, which was a lovely uh, series uh, to be involved with. I, I haven't got involved this year, but I did enjoy it last year. And then sort of all the way up to well, with this Formula E this weekend, I'm off to Monaco tomorrow because I'm one of the team sponsors over there. We've got a great team put together. We've got um, some pretty big people coming along to uh, a drinks evening we're having in the harbour the tomorrow evening. So there's loads of really, really interesting things going on, obviously, to push the brand forward. And uh, mm. But what's happening is, is that people are pulling me along. As much as I'm pushing and as much as I you know, have some amazing friends who have helped me and pushed, pulled me along, um, a lot of people are pulling me along because they, they love – they love the fact that they can look at a product and think, yeah, I need that. They don't know why they want it. They, they need it. I mean, I've got customers who 
Actually, I've got a couple of guys on, on, on social media who absolutely hate the brand. They, they, whatever we do, they hate it. I quite like that passion <laughs> because indifference is – if someone's indifferent, it means they're not talking about you. It means that you're nothing. If, mm. if they absolutely hate you with a passion – at least they're discussing it. At least I'm creating some sort of argument. Stirring the emotion. Stirring the emotion. (laughs) I quite like that. So the more people hate the brand, the more they're talking about it, the more I feel like I'm doing something which is making the impression on somebody. Mm. However, I would say about 98% of the people who interact, and I don't know whether you follow the the Amoligato social media uh, feeds, especially the Twitter one, which is very active, the amount of people who interact with it the amount of people who send me such lovely messages i mean i read them and and there was one guy who sent me a message from australia sent me an email about he inherited some money from his grandmother and he didn't know what to buy and you know he bought an amalgata and he said he was in tears i honestly read that i read the email and i i was in tears my wife and i were both sitting there sort of you know pretending we got grit in our eyes because it was (laughs) it was so moving and when you i mean you know, we, we, I sell I sell a product. I sell a watch, but not only is it a watch; it's a, it's a story. It could be a personal thing to you. It could be a personal thing to me. It's a story. Uh, but when you get yeah, that must that must be so satisfying. Yeah, when you get, in in and totally unexpected that you have created something, you've crafted something, and somebody gets such a such an emotional bond with it. Yes, that you, you that you couldn't have you couldn't have. Uh, crafted that into it there's no way you could have predicted that. no no not at all I and mean, then to let you know as well yeah i mean you know everything that i do i do sit there and i you know i'm, I'm we're, we're announcing quite a big partnership in july this year and um it, it it's probably going to be the biggest thing i've ever done and then the most um if i get it wrong <laughs> then i'm going to go into hiding but i don't think i will get it wrong um <laughs> but but you know so I go into detail. So for the last three days, I've been watching YouTube videos. And I, and I go into it into such detail. I look out and I pause things and I rewind it and I look at it again and think, what's that? And and then I'll try and fish out the person who was actually in the team. So, you know, one of the I, I met one of the race engineers from 1974, McLaren, mm. had a coffee with him. I actually asked him out for a coffee and he came along and I spoke to him. And, you know, some of the information he's, he gives me and some of these stories that he gives me, it sticks in your head. And that mm. translates into design and that translates into something that I'm doing. I mean, I've tweeted about it. I, I'm, I, I started working with John Surtees probably about 18 months ago, and um, bless yeah. him. And we had conversations um, via email initially. And then I met him at uh, the Revival last year, Goodwood Revival last year, the Good Credit Suisse um, lounge where all the, the drivers hang out before they go out. And we had a quick conversation there and then we agreed before christmas that we would get together in in the new year and he really wanted he really wanted something to celebrate not him but what he did and i said and i said there's definitely uh, you know a crowd a market out there who would who would love to buy something of what he did Mm. um he obviously we we all know unfortunately what happened in march and it was a really sort of moving time for everybody because there was a project that I had. I was really looking forward to sitting down with him. Obviously, it was a terribly sad time for the family and for his fans and everything. But his family then contacted me and said, listen, dad started this project. We want you to finish it. So mm. when you, that to me is more than just putting, you know, iconic livery onto a watch. That to me is, yeah. I've now, I've, I mean, honestly, the pressure when you when people look at once when when you see the watch maybe next week or the week after it'll be launched once the family have given me the go ahead i like the watch i know exactly what it means it needs an explanation so you won't be able to look at it and say oh i know exactly what that is you'll you'll have to explain so all my watches need an explanation almost um Mm -hmm. so on this one you'll have it'll have to be explained but to me it was such a, a pressure it was the biggest pressure i think i've had so far with getting the design right and getting it absolutely spot on for somebody that I idolized, you know, who and it'll never be repeated probably in two wheels and then a champion on four wheels. It'll never happen again. So, mm. you know, to, you sort of get but to a with point. That, with that pressure, though, yeah. uh, was it, um, to a certain degree, was it uh, debilitating at all? Yeah. Or, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, okay, so it was, it was overwhelming at times I, then. I, you know, but was that because you amplified it yourself, which is totally understandable, by the way? Or do you, 
I think, you, I think when you're think? close to the subject matter and when, mm. and when it's quite an emotive um, thing you're doing rather than just, you know, let's do a pro like the Visak for me was great. I love, I love the story of Visak. I love the untold story of Visak. I've sat with historians who worked with Walter Roll and people like that. These guys actually trained with him in, uh, in Germany and they, they test drove Porsches and these, these guys are all 60, 70 years old. And I've had, many many coffees with people so designing that was almost like a it was a social journey it was just a journey it was it was i knew i wanted to do the name because i do that product i knew i wanted that name and i knew i had to do that product but when i launched it i thought let's just see what happens with the 30s one and i, and I don't pretend to know him for years I've only, i only knew him for the last i'd say about three years of his life but because he was a hero of mine, because he was somebody who I always sort of, I wanted to meet. And when I met him, I couldn't believe it. And that's a story on its own, actually. But um, but when I first met him, I couldn't believe how nice he was and how well we got on. And, you know, to be to be in the presence of such motorsport legend like that, it, it was just overwhelming. But then to be put in charge of doing something to, to remember his legacy, that gave me a lot of pressure. And that and that gave me a lot of sleepless nights. And it's, and it's to a certain extent, I haven't launched it yet, but... I think launch day is going to be very, it's going to be very, I'm going to be nervous with that. I mean, really nervous because it, it it's more than just a design for me. Do you know what I mean? I want to do his legacy right as well. And well, the other problem is everybody's got their own, with with someone like him, yeah. everybody's got their own view and yes. their own, you know, it's, it's such a, he's almost hallowed. Well, the thing is, and he did so much. So right, yes. from the, right from the mid-50s when he drove the MV Augusta to the World Championship all the way to the mid-70s in Can-Am, it was almost impossible to get one period of his life where you could pick out and think, oh, I know what that is. I know exactly. So you can't do it. It's impossible. However, when you see it, I'm hoping you can pick out the time that he actually drove. And if you – or the time that I picked out in this period, which I thought was quite epic. And I'm hoping that you don't get it immediately, but you have to ask the question and read the story. Because that way the story will develop on the actual face of the watch, and every time you put it on, you'll remember that story. And then, so is story very important with your watches? Yeah, otherwise, go and buy one. Is of that them. how you come round to create one? Yes, I've, I've, got, I've got a feel. I mean, I've got five more trademarks that I've got that I own, and I own all the all the names that I send out. So the Visac I own, Maranello I own, uh, Berlinetta. Uh, Laguna Seca, Indianapolis, they're all my trademarks. No other watch company in the world can use those. So I own those names. And going down the line, um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I own uh, Mexico, Rally Mexico. I own Panamericana. I own Fiorano. I own, um, I can't remember how many more I own, actually. But but so I, I bought all these sort of, <laughs> in my mind, iconic names and iconic races and iconic people. And these people that, are, you know, I watched movies when I was 15, 20 years old and I, I wished I could meet them or even see the car or whatever. So the story behind everything. So um, Laguna Seca is a great story. You know, Laguna Seca is probably one of the hardest tracks um, in the world. The corkscrew is probably the most difficult corner. I've spoken to a lot of people, you know, from some pretty from, from everyone from sort of Brabham to to Mark Webber, to all these people I spoke to and I said, how did you do the corkscrew? And they all spent a good four or five minutes talking about the one corner. Whereas if you talk to them about, I don't know, one of the corners of, let's say, Korea, mm. you, Korea, you you wouldn't spend more than 10 seconds talking about it, but everyone spoke about Laguna Seca, everyone spoke about the corkscrew. So the yes. story of the corkscrew is, is in, in, you know, intrinsic in the design of the Laguna Seca watch, i.e. it's on a 45 degree angle because that corner's on a 45 degree and then you've got a dip and it actually goes down, I believe, four or five stories before you hit the bottom and carry on again. It's, it's quite immense. You, I mean, we, I, I've never been there and so obviously the only experience I've had is seeing it on, on telly yeah. or playing on a... a PlayStation. A, a video game yep. or something, and the video game you sort of go, okay, I, I, I know this is a blind one. It's all right. I can get this right. And, <laughs> and then you watch in-car footage, and you go, oh, my stomach's just risen, exactly. and I'm sat on my couch, <laughs> you know. And it's just, it just seems like such it, that is such an immense corner. Well, the fact that we're even discussing just one corner means yeah. and shows how epic that place is. 
It's up there with, um, for me, up there with Bathurst when you go over the top and then you exactly. come back down. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a, a mind-boggling uh, bit of track that you think, and you're doing that as fast as you can. Yes, you know, it's not yeah. like you're pootling round in first or something. No, no, and you've got to go. You Obviously, if you, it's blind, so you've got to make sure that you understand what's happened in the unsighted place. So, mm. so, so that story of that corner told to me by some really amazing people who've all driven it, whether it be in the McLaren, whether it be in Formula One, whether it be in Classic or, or you know, the, the, the Gulf Mirage M8, you know, or, or, so the Gulf Mirage, sorry, you know, um, They've all told me stories about that corner. Even John Sertes told me stories about that corner. So that's why I thought, right, Laguna Seca has to be in one of my designs and one of my things because it's a story. And then, mm. you know, I remember one of my customers who bought Laguna Seca was sitting, I think it was in a restaurant or a bar or coffee shop, whatever. And um, a young lady came up to him and said, oh, what the hell's wrong with your watch? It's on a 45 degree angle. He started explaining it. The last I knew they'd been going out six months. So, <laughs> so when he not hears, only does it tell the time, but it brings people yeah, together. Exactly, and, and, that, and that's what that's what got me. That was a lovely email as well. He said, "I've got a girlfriend out of this. Thank you very much." So you know, and that well, if we'd known that, we'd have charged a lot yeah. more. <laughs> we didn't know he's a dating agency. Yeah, maybe I should. Uh, yeah, Malagato Dating Agency dot com. But um, I, I've had so many people who give me little sort of stories. That's the only one that I know like that. But you know, I met one. I went down to Lamar, and then I met another guy who had you know, a Hesketh and we both went out for a beer and we were discussing you and then other guys over in, you know, people send one guy in China at the China F1, he, he sent me over a picture and someone else, I retweeted it and someone else said, oh, I'm in China as well. And then they got together and had, you know, they met each up with each other at the, at the race. So it's almost, it's almost like a little social mm. thing going on rather than, because if you go into a shop and spend 250 quid on a watch, uh, you know, Generally, you'll buy one of the you know the known brands that we all know from a from a high street retailer, and you after you buy that product, you'll never hear from the manufacturer or probably even not the rate retailer ever again. And mm. the fact that you're wearing something and then someone else has got the same, there's it's really so there's not much connection. But what I'm finding is that you know people are connecting, they're talking, and and then going on from that. So because it became such a social thing, um, I, I was pretty. I, I, people, a lot of people saying to me, when are you going to show at shows like Goodwood or, or you know, one of these sort of ignition festivals or, or you know, Car Fest or something like that, will you put a, will you come along and do a show? And I said, no, I, I didn't like the idea of standing there with a the table saying, roll up, buy a watch off me. It's not, mm. it's not the way I work. And I like to do things a bit more socially and a bit more sort of interactively. So rolling on from that, um, we started with the help of Porsche Retail GB. Um, an event called, well, I say it's an event, it's, it's a morning sort of meet sort of thing um, called Chronos and Cars, mm-hmm. which um, which was a great place. Well, yeah, we've been very lucky for the first two. It's been absolutely brilliant. The amount of people who've helped me and also enjoyed themselves as well. But, I mean, at the first one we had, I mean, I don't know whether you saw the photographs of the first one, but we had, you know, McLaren F1 GTR. We had the... Head of Konosegi, um worldwide distribution, actually. Head of Konosegi, who's a good friend of mine. Um, we had a director of Pin and Farina flying from Italy. Uh, one of <laughs> the team boss from Mahindra Racing came in as well. Um, who else? We have, I mean, I, f- I forget so many people came that day, but they were almost like the who's who of the automotive industry, as well as some cool <laughs> people who interact with me, whether it be on you know, my social media feed or whether it be a watch um, buyer. But it was all like just one big morning and Porsche absolutely loved it to the extent they basically said, we need, we want to, we want to back this event and we want to back the watch business to a certain extent. I mean, they're not going to retail it or anything like that, but they literally just Mm. said to me, what do you want to do? We want to do it with you because I think on that day also they sold cars that they wouldn't have sold on the first day because the showroom was going to be closed. So, so, Mm. um, and then the next one we did, which was another step up actually, because I'm the official time keeping sponsor at Shelsey Walsh Hill climb over in Worcester. Um, (laughs) So we've got, I sponsor the clock. I love Shelsey Walsh anyway, because it's the most beautiful part of the world. I don't know if you've been there or not, but it's just, no, I've not. It's on my list of places. I need to go and attend. Britain is so beautiful. I mean, we, I live near London. So, you know, there's Heathrow, there's, 
all sorts of motorways. You go there and there are orchards and vineyards and nothing but beautiful hillsides. And in the distance, you can see Wales. And it's the most picturesque place. And then you have the oldest motorsport venue in the world. And um, so I had to get involved with that. And the people there are fantastic. Mark Costanduris is an absolute, he's absolutely brilliant at what he does there. Um, and the, so, so for the second Chronos and Cars, I took the place over, invited people who said they'd never been before. Uh, we got Marino Franchitti, who turned up in his father-in-law, Nick Mason's Love Ferrari. Um, <laughs> Richard Atwood came along. He, he works with me. He's an ambassador of the brand. Um, uh, Katie Milner came along. Freddie Hunt came along. And Nick Heidfeld took a flight from Zurich at five o'clock in the morning to fly into Heathrow, to get into a rented car, to drive up to Chelsea Walsh to meet people you know, and do selfies and autographs and we'll talk about what he did at the Goodwood Hill Climb and all the other things that he does. And then he caught a flight back to Zurich at 4.30 in the afternoon. He literally came for the day. And so did wow. the boss, boss of uh, Mahinda Racing. He, he was meant to go back to Boston to his home for the, week, for, the, uh, for the week, but he postponed his flight until the evening just to make it. So people like that, when, when they're backing your brand and, and they're backing the, the passion behind what I've got, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm a, I'm a rabbit. I never take anything for granted. And these guys and everybody else who I haven't mentioned, they're, they're pulling the brand along because they feel so strongly about it. I'm mm. always like a rabbit in the headlights of what I do. It's almost like, is this is this how is this really? But it's only because I wanted to do something different. And and obviously, well, like I said, I filed accounts yesterday. If anyone wants to download it, you can see that this is working. You can see that this is. Uh, that this is something that's going places. And uh, I wish I could tell you But now. this is built on the back, though, of 20-odd years of hard graft to get to the point where you are able to create something by pulling a story and really getting under the skin of it and then interpreting that in a product and producing it. Yeah. And that, that and, and uh, I think stories are something that people latch on to. Well, yeah, I mean... It, it, massive amounts of good luck. Now, I don't believe in luck just happening on its own because luck equals opportunity plus preparation. So I prepared mm -hmm. for this for 20 years, I, I subconsciously. I've, yeah, I've made, you didn't know it, but no, this I is what... No, I didn't know it, but I prepared for this opportunity. And the opportunity came along, and i tell you why the opportunity came along. My son got a job and my daughter went to university, so my overheads completely... <laughs> Literally, I wasn't subsidising them anymore. So my, my, my pressure was off a little bit. Um, and so the opportunity arose with a little kick in the backside from my wife. Thank, bless her. And thank her. <laughs> yes, and I love her just to a bits. little. Yes, but if she hadn't have done it, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, and this opportunity came along, which gave me the good luck to, to, to do something at the right time. I keep thinking I wish I'd done this 10 years ago, but I don't think I could have done it 10 years ago because I would have had to make the company start and there would have been too much pressure and when you're working under severe pressure, you get things wrong. This wasn't pressure. This yeah, was just I, a, I don't, a I don't believe in that when people say, oh, I wish I, I'd done something you know, earlier or whatever. Yeah. You weren't ready. Well, yeah, and the other thing you is... Weren't ready, you weren't ready. You weren't experienced enough or yes. yeah, there was new enough there was or whatever it is, right, yeah. but you weren't ready for that then. Yes. And now was the time. Otherwise, you would have done it then. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, And I'm, and, and I'm very, you know, people who know me and you... You, I mean, we've chatted on Twitter. You know, I'm no hippie, so you know, I'm not doing no, this from no, a no, let's no, go hug a tree thing. But I, I firmly believe that that there's, there's a very everything builds up to get you to the point where you are now. Yes, there's a, there's a there's a saying my mum says. Um, we're from India originally. I was born and bred here, and uh, went through schooling and all the rest of it here. Um, but my mum's originally from India, and there's a saying in India: whatever happens, happens for the best. And it's, they they always say that. Even when someone passes away, they'll say that. You know, and and I I'm a strong believer of that. Whatever happened, and all the sort of trials we had with our lives, because you know we we were in a some sometimes in a really bad way, where things weren't going right, and you sat there in your darkest moments thinking, what the hell's going to happen? Even those sort of moments, they reflect you. Uh, sorry, they mould you with what you're doing. What I'm doing now, certainly, money is not my motive. Everything I do, I do it because. Um, I've dreamt of either dreamt of doing it or, or or I absolutely love doing it, whether it be standing in a car park on a Sunday morning in the freezing cold, looking at somebody else's car. I love doing that. <laughs> or whether it be, you know, going tomorrow to Monaco and having a party at the, the automobile club of Monaco. It's, um, 
it's almost I, I, well i mean we'll we'll pray for you tomorrow we'll yeah please you. do that we'll yeah. start a hashtag yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sympathy i don't take anything for granted the fact that i <laughs> the fact that i even said that i'm sort of having an out-of-body experience thinking is that is that really me doing that tomorrow i know but that that must be so cool i mean i i've uh obviously nowhere near the level that you're talking but i i know what you completely mean about the imposter syndrome and stuff like that yeah when through this podcast, I've got all the people who are prepared to talk to me that do. I mean, like yourself, you've you've come on uh, and you're chatting to me. And all the people who've said yes up to now. And the, there's people in the wings that have said yes. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, but I'm just this bloke, <laughs> you know, who's just occasionally, well, but quite often what? quite grumpy on Twitter. No, and, you, you know, know and uh, but if you can, if you can not be too... Don't be too British about it and too embarrassed about it because mm. it, it, I'm very guilty of that. We've obviously, like, you're obviously doing something right for these people to want to be involved. Mm. They wouldn't get involved, and you have to th- sort of think that way. But I, but I, the other thing you were saying then about uh, things happen for uh, the right reason. I think that is vital if you run your own business. Yes, you have to have that attitude. Otherwise, go and work for someone else. Otherwise, because you you won't you it's it's hard. It's uh, there's long hours. There's there's many tears. Yeah, and not many of them from laughter. So yes, you know, yeah, it's it, buy a hard hat, get in the queue. You it's going to be tough, but you've got to have that attitude. Otherwise, it, it's not it 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 won't happen. It won't be successful. No, it will just no, make you right. ill I mean, and miserable. I, I work. Um... Possibly, on average, every day, 15 hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. Um, even on holiday, I mean, my wife and I went on holiday, um, I think it was earlier in April for a week, and I was still working six hours a day. While she was sleeping, I was still working. Uh, mm-hmm. And But the thing is, it's not because, it, 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 it's not because um, I have to, it's because I want to. And, and, although and then I, it's not work so much. Uh, and honestly, I don't feel like I've worked for the last two years. I honestly feel guilty. To, this weekend, you know, is is um, I don't feel like I'm actually going to be working, but actually it is. It's really important work. I'm in Paris next weekend, um, and again, I don't feel like I'm. I, I, I'll be working. I'm in Indianapolis at the end of the month. Again, I don't feel like I could, I'll be working. I mean. You know, it's it's it feels like I'm just having fun. It feels like I'm mm. just sort of naturally just doing the stuff that I've always dreamt of doing. But actually, I'm creating content and creating worth and creating something out of it. And 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 every bit of profit that we that I make out of this gets churned back into the business. So I don't actually. I I have bought something recently, which is a bit extravagant. But I don't go around. You know, having you haven't got a gold throne all of a sudden (laughs) that you sit on. Can I tell you what my perfect Friday night is? If if, most people, if they listen to this, will probably know this. Actually, my perfect Friday night is fish and chips and a a bottle of wine. We share that with my wife, so we have have a glass of wine each and fish and chips. And you ask Mm -hmm. any of my friends, I think the most boring git in the world, but that's my most that's my most perfect Friday evening: fish and chips and a glass of wine. I don't like going out. Um, when people say, oh, we want to go to Zuma this or Nobu that or whatever, it makes my skin crawl going into these places <laughs> and, and paying for food that when you come back out again, you're hungry. So I, I, you won't, you will never find me in anywhere like this unless somebody else is paying for it. But you'll never find me <laughs> ever in any of these places because it's just not me. My, my father came here in the mid 60s. He was, um, you know, first generation immigrant. Uh, couldn't get a job because of uh, because he was an immigrant, so he had to wash cars. Then started his own business in the early 70s. They wouldn't give him a mortgage because of his skin color. Um, possibly. Uh, that's not a chip on my shoulder, but that's what I was told. Okay, so I don't mm. know. Um, and then early 90s, he went public. His company went public, and he made, he made an absolute, you know, well, for him, it was a lot of money. Um, and then went back to India and retired. So, you know, he worked he, he worked a lot harder than we ever did because what, what we call hard work these days is, is in front of a screen for long hours. Mm. Those days it was all manual. It was all you had to graft and you had to sweat and you had to cut your fingers and all the rest of it. So he, he really did a lot more than I did. But but that's the family we're from. And he always, you know, made me work. I started working at the age of 11, I think, or 12. I was working on the buses collecting money when, when child labour was legal in this country. <laughs> but I was about 11 or 12, then I worked the markets when I was 14. 
So every every penny that um, that I've earned is all all never given to me, never ever given to mm. me. Always had to earn it. And um, yeah, we've had some evenings where, you know, when the kids were younger, where we had ten pounds left, where we had seven pounds fifty for Pampers and two pounds fifty for dinner. So I've done all of that, and I never mm. forget those days. And you know, you're a fool if you do. So um, every every penny I earn goes back into the business. It goes back into things that I enjoy. A percentage goes into the, into mode support. I love giving sponsorship money out, despite what some people think. I do like getting involved with people and saying, right, here's X amount for you. Here's X amount for you. Let's do a deal here. All the way up to Formula E. I mean, the Formula E deal that I've done is 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 big money, but but mm. it's all relative to the amount of money that we can produce from it. So. You know, so I do, I do enjoy the thrill of doing that deal. You know, so but but fish and chips on a Friday, anyone give me that, I'm theirs. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. Okay, well, you mentioned there um, that your that your father came over to this country, mm-hmm. and so when when you were younger, were cars always a thing, or was it straight away motorsport and then cars? No, it was cars. My dad had a massive passion for them. He always aspired to having a Mercedes, and I think the late 70s he bought his first one mm-hmm. um i can't remember what model it was but it was a 230 something and i think it was a w116 the big fat headlight one yeah and then after that he i think he had about three of those and then he bought the w123 which was um and i was think i was 10 when he bought that one and we actually went over Sindelfingen to go and pick it up so i actually had a visit to the factory when i was 10 years old and i was literally you know mesmerized by how all these beautiful cars were being made and and then he upgraded to to a two 280 se the big sort of long headlight one on the back which looked like the r107 sls but the the saloon version of it um mm. he had one of those so he always had a mercedes and he always had you know a nice mercedes if you like and he aspired to some other stuff which he never quite got around to getting because he was always well he was always putting money into his business and working hard, and he couldn't quite get to the to the level he wanted. But he, he he always had a lovely Mercedes. So I always had a massive love for the old Mercedes. And I still do actually. And I'd love to love to have an old Mercedes. But my 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 real passion came with Porsche when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two uncles who bought two Porsches brand new back in '82, and I remember being able to. We lived in a private area, and I, I drove my first Porsche when I was 12 years old. Uh, only about sort of maybe a mile or something, but it nevertheless, I'd never forgot that about it. it. That was it. I just <laughs> fell in love with the brand. And I, the reason I still love the brand is because it's so accessible. It's You can go to a supermarket, park your car up, and generally speaking, people don't look at you. Uh, and I like that. And I don't I don't like the, you know, you can buy other cars where people, you, they're literally in your face and what have you. If you want to drive them slow, put cruise control on, you can do that. If you want to drive them hard, they can keep up there with with the the best of the best sort of thing. It does seem to me that the Audi R8 followed that line rather than the spaceship with rockets on. Yes, yeah. Idea and 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 that um, that has always appealed to me about Porsches as well is the subtle perhaps. Well, they're almost is on the it... verge of ordinary. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It, it, I mean? I don't know whether you saw, but two weeks ago, Porsche gave me a really, I mean, it was a £120,000 911, uh, brand new, 500 miles on the clock, and they said you can have it for a few days and just see how you get on with it. Went up to London. No one person looked at the car. I didn't see anybody looking at, at the car. Whereas if you'd have had £120,000 probably used, well, actually definitely used Ferrari or a used Lambo or a used... Not that you'd ever see me dead in a Lambo, but um, a Morgan <laughs> or anything like that, you would get everybody, you know, staring and what have you. I really like you the fact. You would be papped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you would be. But you know, but in the 911, no one looked, and I really like that. I, you know, because it for me, what I drive is about. It's for me. It's not for people outside. A lot of people buy cars to impress other people and say, "Look at me, look at me." I only buy cars to make sure that. So I actually like them, and I and they and they're a part of my character. So mm. um, some people may know that I've got um, two Porsches, and, and um, there's another one um, sort of about to be born. But I've got a I've got an '82 <laughs> 911 in the Gulf racing colours with a ducktail and an IROC front bumper. 
So it's not correct. A lot of Porsche aficionados hate me for it. But for me, it extends my character and love of that period of Porsche and that period of racing. And it's in the colors that I absolutely adore. Um, I've got a relatively modern Cayman. It's 10 years old now, actually, but it's relatively modern compared to that. And that one I'll never sell. But but that one um, has the Martini livery on there and it has a few other sort of design things from Porsche Racing. And that, to me, it, it's not to show other people, hey, listen, look at my car, because a lot of people look at it think that they're horrible because of the colors. And, and and I quite like the fact that people come up to me and say, what the hell have you done to that Porsche? It's disgusting. Why has it got orange wheels? And I think to myself, you're exactly the person I don't want you to, to look at the car. You know, whereas mm. people who love motorsport, they look at it and they, they immediately – I have generally the older generation coming up to me and shaking my hands when they when the, when they when they see that 911 so uh, th- that's for, for cars for me or for me they're not for other people to look at whereas a lot of the italian brands and possibly some of the british ones as well you you do people do buy them just for other people to look at and i don't i don't want anybody to see me or anything do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. um so that that's where my love from cars came my dad did it he he loved a nice mercedes always had one um, and then, so how old were you when you passed your test? Uh, I was uh, 17 and eight days old. <laughs> 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 I'd been driving since I was 12. We were lucky enough to live in a private area in Windsor, which had about three miles worth of road. So mm. I started driving a Toyota Corolla, I think it was an 82 Corolla, um, up and down where we lived. And it was all private, so it was very easy. And so I was pretty, well, I thought I was pretty good. And then... Um, I it was actually it was no sorry it was twelve days after my birthday I passed uh, on my on my seventeenth one lesson straight to the test and I passed it so uh, and I went away and uh, well actually my dad had just sold his company they floated on the AIM so he made a bit of money and he just bought himself a new Mercedes again and it was beautiful he bought mum a really nice Volkswagen Golf at the time really really nice and I thought oh. He's bought me a BMW. He's done something with the money. And he said, oh, I bought you a car. And I thought, oh, great. I knew, I knew he'd come into some money. And I looked out the window one morning, and he'd bought me a dark maroon brown. I won't describe it any more than that. With Beige Villiers C's Austin Maxi. <laughs> automatic, though. So it had at least two gears in it. And um, <laughs> I nearly cried when he bought me a but he said it was one owner from you, 38,000 miles. He said it was an absolute bargain. And I think the bargain with him was like 700 quid at the time. So I sort of gritted my teeth. Like, at least I'm mobile and thank you for buying me something. But I sold it about, I think it took me about four or five months to, to say, right, I can't have this anymore. And I sold, it to a, I, I sold it to a highway policeman who drove, I think back then, a Vauxhall... Senator, I think they were called back then, the big Vauxhall senators on the yep. motorway. Yeah, yep. so that must have been eighty-seven or eighty-eight. So it would have been a senator or something on the motorway. Yeah, my dad had one of those. Oh, briefly. really? Yeah. Yeah. So they were the bee's knees on, the, especially and this white one on the motorway. You literally your heart dropped when you saw one. Yeah. So um, and it's before he, everyone did the tricks of sticking the Daglo vests in the back windows and yes, yeah, and everything. Especially if you had a white one. Yeah, you're right. Um, so he turned up in a big police car and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? But he bought, you know, I had three people who wanted to buy the Maxi at the time. So I upgraded it to a 2CV, Dolly. No, no, mm-hmm. sorry, no, no, no. I upgraded it to a 1200 sloping headlight 65 Beetle, which mm-hmm. had holes underneath the back seat. So if you lifted the back seats up, they were so badly welded, you could see the, the road underneath there. Um, nice. uncom- the Flintstone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uncomfortable as hell but i had it repainted in mars red and it had a, a lovely cream inside which was the original color lovely steering wheel the wolfsburg steering wheel with this sort of thin I, I, I you know i think they called it um it was almost like bakelite steering wheel it was beautiful absolutely beautiful but it wasn't wasn't practical to go to, i got a job in london and it wasn't very practical to sort of go to london so i upgraded that to a 2cv dolly <laughs> in plum and custard, which I actually I love. So how how was that more practical? <laughs> oh, don't ask. I, it it, <laughs> it was it, in my head at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was, and I got a great deal on it. And I absolutely loved it. So, you know, I, um, all my friends are driving around in XR2s and GTIs and stuff, and I turned up with this 2CV dolly in plum and custard. So they <laughs> they questioned me, and I said no, no. But no, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I kept that for about two years, and then had to go sensible because I again got a job which needed a lot of driving so i went into golfs and i've had about i had about 22 23 golfs 
Um, okay, probably the that's best. quite a few. Yeah, I literally I loved them. I kept on sort of buying a new one or trading up to a new one every sort of six, eight months. And the best one I ever had was a 92 J registration, big bumper, eight valve campaign model, one of the last Mark II's. Um, I, I, I stupidly saw I didn't even need the money, but I, I didn't have the parking space, so I sold it. But if there's any car that I, I wish I could have back, it'd be one of that would be definitely one of them. Um, and then I went. We had a young family, so I had to buy an estate car and something safe. And you know, so we went through the various, um, you know, the German barges, if you like, just to just for the family. Until 2000, I, I then had a little bit of money, and I bought myself a Lotus Series One, uh, mm-hmm. 118 bhp, and I literally came alive again and it literally it, it, it azure blue with beige leather it was beautiful loved it had it a couple of years and then uh, upgraded that to a triple one s uh series two with the k series engine and mm-hmm. absolutely loved that and then i did my back in in 2007 and i couldn't get in and out of the car for seven months so um i, I want and i wanted a, a sports car but i couldn't have the lotus anymore so I sold that, and uh, and that's when the Porsche bug bit. And mm. since then, I haven't sort of looked back. I mean, I've had, um, I'd say I've had about 10, 12 Porsches since. I've still got the first Porsche that I ever bought, which is the Cayman that I told you about. But in mm. between then, I've had many, many Porsches. And uh, I'll never sell the Cayman, though, because it was my first one, and it's it's quite sentimental to me, actually. So, um, but no, I, I just love the brand and I love everything that they do. And, and now that I'm working with them and sort of involved with them and they love what I do and I love what they do, it's, it's almost like I don't need to go anywhere else. You know, I flirted with Ferraris, but I've never got on well with them. Um, you do a wrong turn in London in a Ferrari and people start swearing at you. You do a wrong turn in a Porsche and people let you in. So mm. that's, that was the difference. And, and then as I got through the ranks of sort of buying stuff, you sort of invariably start meeting people. And with Ferrari, they, they took me out to some really interesting uh, events over at Maranello, over at um, Bologna. And, uh, you know, all culminating in me meeting Luca de Montezemolo and Luca Fer- uh, Piero Ferrari. Uh, one evening, which was surreal, actually. Um, and that's a really long story. But a month after meeting those guys, I was on a flight to India with Luca de Montezemolo to set up Ferrari India, which, yeah, long, long story. And I won't, I don't think we've got a whole night for that. But, and we were on a flight into India and the, and the dealership opened October 2015 from the input that I put into the project. Again, I had imposter syndrome while I was sitting in this aeroplane, first class, which they paid for, um, which I couldn't believe was happening. But I just happened to know the right people, speak to the right people, and and, and put a deal together And to, 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 to the extent that they opened up in uh, October 2015. So I was instrumental in putting that together as well. So there's loads of other things that I've got involved with, with putting people together and doing things not necessarily for immediate gain because I've, I've never i've never worked like that because you get some people who you know they won't they won't step anywhere unless you've got a contract in place or unless you've got some mm. commission or whatever and i feel that doesn't work i think if you if you prove yourself in the beginning and then follow it through at the end that's when you know you might get some recompense out of it but if you go along in life saying oh i just want money out of you and i don't know how to make it and i'm not going to do anything unless you say i'm going to get this and that it doesn't work for me and i can't work with people like that either and if you look at the team of people who for example who are coming with me tomorrow so one of the heads of ascari the track over in spain is coming with me tomorrow and lewis hamilton's and michael schumacher's old manager at um Mercedes is coming with me tomorrow. She's been on the phone to him before, before we're speaking now. We're all working together to, to do something for each other. We're all pulling in different directions, but we all know what we want, and we can't do this on our own. And mm. so, um, and that's the way I work. I, I try and sort of pull people along, show my worth, show what I can do, and then let everybody sort of say, right, okay, now we need to, we need to give something back to this guy. So... And then, and that's how it's worked, even with the watch company. You know, I've I've done stuff for people, you know, and and some of the things that I've done for people are coming back. And you'll see in July what I mean by that. And I and I didn't think it was coming, 
but it's exclusive teas. Well, yeah, I love that. I tell you, I'm bursting to tell you now that I can't. No, um, no, don't, 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 no, don't ruin it I, by I, doing. I can't. I wouldn't ruin it. But the deal is done. How did that happen? Um, but if you look at what I've done for the people who were involved with it previously for the last two years, I've done stuff for nothing. Not that I've ever wanted anything with an agenda. I've never wanted anything back. If, mm. if I do something for somebody because I like them or I feel, like I feel that there's value and they should be doing something else, um, then, you know, if something comes back, then that's great. And if it doesn't come back, then, hey, I'm, I'm all right. It doesn't really bother me. Do you know what I mean? So but then that's how I work and that's how people have come along. So, you know, I put Freddie, I, I was instrumental in putting Freddie Hunt into the GT4 car that he's racing for Brookspeed at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys might be listening to this when they when it goes out, but the deal fell apart. But I spent nine hours uh, putting the deal back together again with management and race team and sponsors and all the rest of it. And at the end of that nine hours, I walked away and everyone was happy. We all shook hands. We had a deal. And someone said to me, what did you earn out of that? I said, nothing. <laughs> I just wanted the deal to happen. Freddie Hunt's a good friend and uh, mm. he needs a break. He needs he needs to get a racing series. So I helped him get into it. And, you know, and, and I don't know whether you can see, but on social media, Freddie's doing everything for me at the moment. I, have no, I don't ask him for it. I don't have an agenda for him. But, he, mm. you know, he feels that he wants to and that's good. And that's a nice way to work because then we all, we're all doing it because we want to rather than the, because we're forced to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So... Um, so it's good. I mean, you know, I've got I've got some really nice people around me who all they want to do is is do things and get things done. And I and I generally speaking, once I get going, I never stop until it's finished. Mm. Um, so uh, and that probably that's attracted a few people like that, like me, who, who don't stop until it finishes. And we all work really, really well together, you know, so um, so it's good. Well, that, it's that's, really good. I mean, that's excellent. And it's refreshing to hear that sort of attitude because you know the the what gets portrayed in the press and what people imagine is it's all so dreadfully cutthroat and as you say it's well i'm i'm not prepared to get off this chair until i've got a contract yes, that is yes. signed to say that if i do that you will do this yes. and that sort of stuff yes. and it's it's refreshing to know that it is still about people and it is still about speaking one-to-one it, it's about it's about meeting and working with gentlemen as well or like-minded people i say the word gentlemen mm. i work with a load of ladies as well who are absolutely amazing but i'll give you a good example so current time look at the, at the moment as you know the formula one presenter He's mm-hmm. doing a bit of the Le Mans series. He's actually driving in Le Mans LMP2 this year. Yes. He's on Channel 4. Um, he's a friend. He's, he, he knows the ins and outs, and he knows absolutely everyone in most motorsport racing series, although I've introduced him to some people in the last week. We had – there's no contract. We shook each other's hand and said, right, let's do something together. And I said, I don't know what it is, but we've got to do something. And if you look on his, especially on his social media, if you watch Channel 4 Formula 1, all he's doing is promoting or or product placing my products. And I've never asked him to do it, never. Mm. But I know subconsciously that he's doing it because he respects the fact that we are friends firstly, and then secondly, he knows that him and I can do things together and we can do some amazing things together. I've got an Mm. opportunity next year with um, quite an important race series where I've been offered uh, a sponsorship deal with it. I've been offered uh, the chance to get involved with a team, a fully funded team. And I know that they're looking for a driver like Karen Tunduk. So maybe it's not him, but someone like him. But it's that kind of sort of open door sort of feel that we all have with each other and we all work really well with each other because we all know we're pulling in the same way whether it be Mm. motorsport whether it be a car company whether it be you know for my watches or whether it be for a race series or a young carter over in colorado that i'm working with we're all pulling the same way and it's a lovely way to work because you don't have to watch your back and and no one's on any performance sort of thing so there's no pressure with doing it we're just doing it because we love doing it and and that's the kind of way that I like working as well. So there's no pressure for me to sell X amount of watches every day um, because... Well, it sounds refreshingly ego-free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, you know, we're talking about big personality people. We're talking about people who are successful or people who are driven. But it sounds quite ego-free as in, uh, well, no, I'm the one who's got the, you know, the bigger <laughs> Rolls-Royce type 
attitude. Yeah, no. Which is, again, what I think I was trying to allude to before about the that it's refreshing to hear how it's how it's working for you and how you want to work. Well, it, it, you know what it is? It's just a bunch of passionate people, like I said, pulling in the same direction. That's all it is. And as soon mm. as I get somebody and, and you know, I, I people some people don't like me at all. Um, some people absolutely hate the way I work and they won't work with me and they don't want to work with me anymore, which is fine. But it's because I've sensed a way that they're actually only in it for themselves. Not, not that we're all in it for ourselves. We all, we all have an agenda and we have to because we've all got our own you know, things to look out for. But if you go into a deal with only your agenda, no one's going to win apart from actually no one's going to win. Because the other people mm. won't want to won't want to deal with you anymore, unless you're like a Bernie Eccleston and you're you're selling water in the desert. But uh, you know, generally <laughs> speaking, no one's really fortunate enough to be in that position. So everyone has to pull in the same direction, and everyone has to have everyone else's else's agenda also in mind as well. And so, with me, although I'm really fair, and people who you know have dealt with me said, you know, whatever you're doing, I work with Derek Bell and. You know, Derek's a fantastic guy and, and, and we get on really well. And, you know, I, I really do look after him in the sense, whether it be social media or whatever, I, I look after him completely. So I'm, I'm really cool. But the, the minute somebody upsets me, the minute somebody does something which I which is not right, and if I speak to them about it, they still don't adjust, I will cut them clean. And I, will, mm. I won't speak to them again, ever. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've lost 30-year-old relationships because people have gone and done things for their own agenda and not done things correctly. And I've cut them clean after 30 years. So I, I'm very much like that. that. That doesn't mean that I'm a, um, what's the right word? I'm not callous and I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these hard nuts in the city who just want to, in it, you know, want to cut people out of their lives. I, I do have a lot of emotion. I do have a lot of uh, worth for friendships, but the minute that friendship is, is pulled or or there's some strain on it or someone's done something which they shouldn't have done or they've said something or whatever i cut it clean immediately um because I, well we're all getting older so we don't have time for it do you know what i mean <laughs> so so I'm, I'm very much black and white if, if if you if i don't like what you've done and you don't appreciate the fact that you know you did something wrong or or you try and pull the wool over my eyes or something like that you're, you're out you're gone never again mm. and um mm. some relationships that i've had for 30 years have disappeared because of it because I, I can't handle it so yeah. um i'm very fair but i'm very black and white at the same time okay yeah you know that, that yeah no, i can understand that right motorsport yeah obviously this is a major major influence yep what is your favorite motorsport series at the moment and why <laughs> um i was if you'd asked me this question two years ago i'd say it was formula one um, really? Two yeah, years ago? Really? Yeah, two, maybe, maybe three years ago. I, I have massively fallen out of love of it. Yeah, no. It, it's, I've, there's, there's a team that's flirting with me at the moment. Actually, there's two teams flirting with me at the moment about doing something next year, 2018. And I am dealing with egos. I'm dealing with um, hierarchy. I'm dealing with people's issues. And I've all the stuff you really enjoy dealing yeah. with. <laughs> I'm really, really close to just telling them, you know what, go and find somebody else to work with because I can't do it and I don't want to get involved with it. Um, mm. So, Formula One, I haven't missed a race in 27 years. I haven't missed a race. Okay. Uh, it doesn't That's matter dedication. where I am in the world, I'll watch it. Even this Sunday, I'm not in this country, but I'll find somewhere. I've already planned where I'm watching it on Sunday, the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, so I, I do, I suppose it's a habit. It's a, it's a bad habit, but it's a habit, and I have watched it. But the one that I'm really falling in love with is Formula E. Now, I, I reckon a lot of your listeners will sort of roll their eyes and think, oh, God, what's he talking well, about now? Well, no, Formula E <laughs> is... Uh, one of the two motorsports that we uh, follow and do report back on do you? on the news show. Yes, yeah. Formula E was the first one. Yeah. See, uh, again, if you'd asked me a year ago what, what Formula E, I'd go, oh, no, no, forget it. You need to hear the sound of an engine, and you're thinking, um, and then that was that's the automatic thing. Everyone says, oh, you need to hear an engine. You need to hear an engine. Whereas, um, and then I say to them, do you remember your father years ago used to hear a um, used to look at a Rolls Royce, and you could, you you always say that Rolls Royce purred by, and you couldn't hear any the engine because it was so quiet. Well, 
here we are with the hybrid energy uh, generation and the cars are purring by and you can't hear the engine. But the first thing people say is, oh, you can't hear the engine. <laughs> so mm. it's almost, you know, you, you sort of forgotten what you what, what your fathers aspire to and what you aspire to, to a really quiet car that glided by. So the technology is very relevant for now, I think. I think as, as battery um, technology is growing, and a friend of mine is quite big in battery technology over in Croatia, he makes the most amazing hypercar called the Rimac, which is just i mean it's surreal that car so battery technology is very is advanced a lot more even in the last couple of years and i do think that the close racing the venues of the racing so who can have you ever heard of a race series closed down new york city Mm, never never you know even hong kong never um so i think what they're doing with regards to bringing it to the masses rather than making it i hate the word exclusive by the way so you know make it the, the exclusivity of formula one just turns me off completely because you know exclusive means that you're excluded and yes. and i don't like and and i'm very much an inclusive guy that's why i you know whenever we do a competition i want people to meet people whenever we do chronos and cars i want people to meet the drivers that i'm involved with so it's a very inclusive brand and formula one is a very exclusive sport meaning excluding a lot of people. I like the ethos of Formula E because it's very inclusive. You can sit there on your smartphone and, and work out and vote for people to get a fan boost so you, they get a bit more power during yeah. during the weekend. Uh, this, weekend this weekend, if you look at the harbour at Monaco, it's going to be televised, I believe, on Channel 5. Yeah, the, that's uh, right. The, yeah. Um, there's so there's many... also a live feed on uh, the on YouTube. Right. Which, yes. uh, in this country, where you can watch the uh, the qualifying, but uh, it is unavailable during the race. Although we have heard, mm-hmm. and this is an allegedly, that if you leave that live feed from the qualifying open, <laughs> okay, it carries on. When the race comes back on you aren't kicked out in this country. Oh, right, okay, that's cool. That's good. Otherwise, it's on terrestrial TV anyway, which is a big it is, deal. It is Channel 5, yeah. yeah but so if that, you have that, cut the cord, that is another way around. That, that is in itself is a big deal, to have it on terrestrial TV, whereas a few years ago, well, that's, it was just that's on That's part of my problem with F1. Is it just... I mean, okay, we, we have highlights, yeah. and we get the odd race live, but it just disappeared. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to pay whatever thinking, you well, have to pay, oh, now, you know? Yeah. And then Channel 4, although they've got, you know... The, the highlights sometimes and sometimes they're live which is great I actually think the build up race on channel 4 is a lot better because of the quality of the actually I don't want to upset anybody but um, me personally I, I, I quite like the build up of channel 4's program and the mm. terrestrial TV because I think it's a lot better than the um, than, than the sky build up but, um, but yeah so, so ask me now Formula E and next year, uh, there's the election. Well, just, to, I mean, if, if people are going to say Formula E is a bit dull, oh, it's all about, you can't drive flat out, etc. Watch that last race. Yes. That was, well, that was a that, bad result for us, though, eh? When, well, um, that is true. But, I mean, if you were just watching the spectacle of the race. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know. Everything was going on at once. No, but you <laughs> can't drive flat out in Formula 1 because you have to look out for the tyres. No, you have to yes. do engine management. So this this thing, this myth that people say, oh, they can't drive flat out because the batteries are going down. Yeah, you're right. But in Formula One, the tyres go off, although this year is a lot better than previous years. Yeah. But but the, ty- the tyres... And then we also talk about, oh, well, they've got to change cars. Well, you know, look at uh, WEC. Yeah. They're changing look drivers. GT, look it's at just, GT it's racing. A, look at Blanc Pan GT. basically changing the driver is what <laughs> yeah. you're effectively doing. That's all you're it's, doing. So almost every argument I've heard and every cynical voice that I've heard in the last... And probably, and I have to admit, go back 12, 15, 18 months, I would have said the same thing. But now that I'm directly involved with it, it is a completely different style of racing, something that Formula One has to wake up to. Yeah, it's not meant to be electric Formula One either. I think no, that, was a, no. that was the way people have had it explained to them by those who don't really yeah. know. It is not that. This is a, this is a different beast. Yeah, this is a different entity. It's a different and way. And if you of doing look it. at the brands that are getting involved with it, obviously the big ones oh, who are yeah, coming in yeah, next yeah. year, Mercedes are coming in next year. 
Um, well, there's, the, I think there's 17 the, the or 18 manufacturers makers. now or something. Yeah, I mean, there's talk of BMW, but there's all sorts of talk about BMW. I don't know whether they are. Audi have stopped the WEC racing series to invest more into Formula E. Yep. And then Magneti Morelli, who make the engines for the team that I work with, uh, I sponsor, Mahindra Racing. Magneti Morelli are owned by Ferrari. And mm. so it's only rumor, and I, and I don't want to talk out of turn, but if Ferrari rebrand Mahindra Racing, because effectively that car is, you know, the heart is Italian. It's their, their own, they own Pininfarina. Mahindra Group also own Pininfarina. There is potential for that, that team to have that name. Obviously, there's, there's loads of ins and outs and loads of people who, who are involved in between, but Magneti Morelli are owned by Ferrari. So effectively, it's a Ferrari engine anyway. It just yeah. happens to be powered by batteries. You know, so um, I Formula E, I really do enjoy it. And that is the end of part one of my chat with Shami. Part two will be out next week where I continue my fascinating chat with him. If you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. If you would like to get in touch with me directly, search for Crap Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, there are a couple of ways you can support the Motoring Podcast in a financial manner. These are available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, all of which helps with what we produce. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about this show. I want as many people as possible to hear about the great guests that I managed to get on the show. So until next time, that was Shami Kara, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring. <laughs>